great painted. Give them to us. Okay. All right. Well, I, I will announce here and now that I will do it. That's my next project. I'll get started right yeah. away. Sweet. Yes. Sweet. We have our good friend, two-time World Live Goose Calling champion, owner-operator of Molt Gear, Mr. Scott Trinan. How's it going, guys? Not too bad. How are you, Scott? Good. Thanks for having me. And don't it's, worry, uh, we will insert some impl- some applause there, so we can edit that. Right. So, what's it like out there? Are you are you surviving that Minnesota humidity, which is so awesome? <laughs> Actually, it's been a pretty nice summer. Um, you know, a little bit of heat. I think we actually, what was crazy I heard the other day is, I think we actually broke a record uh, for temperature, real field temperature difference in the matter of a 12-month span. Uh, January, what was it, like 27th, it was negative 61 real field. <laughs> and on July... I think it was like 18th or something. It was real feel of 109. So it was a temperature difference of 170 degrees real feel, which is like the biggest change I guess anybody's ever had. Wow. So it's crazy. Why aren't people uh, flocking to Minnesota? I mean, that's what I don't get. (laughs) But they are, though. (laughs) Yeah. No, there's. uh, it's it's been a nice year. You know, you're going to get a couple months of uh, brutal cold, but uh, spring was pretty good, pretty rainy. But uh, summer's been uh, summer's been good, and it's uh, getting closer to that that best time of the year for me, anyways. And that uh, that's waterfall hunt season. Right yeah. on. Yep. Right on. And for those who don't know, uh, Scott hails out of um, Rochester, which has Rochester, a rich Minnesota. Yep, Rochester, Minnesota, which has rich history. Um, tell us tell us some about the history of of Rochester and and the uh, the giant Canada goose. Yeah, so you know, back in the back in the late thirties, uh, from my understanding and what I've read, you know, they thought that the the giant, the giant Canada goose, um, was gone. It was extinct. And then what I mean is from the wild. You know, there was probably some pen raised farms and stuff that had a few of them on it. But uh, the wild giant Canada goose, they thought was extinct for like nearly thirty years, and then in uh, 1962, they uh, after a few years of these this small flock of coming to Rochester Silver Lake in the winter time, they observed that you know just locals, some DNR agents observed some uh, some of the size of these birds. So they called in a uh, uh, renowned biologist and the head of the I think he was the head of the Illinois DNR as well or something uh, by the name of Harold Hansen who eventually later went on to write the book, the giant Canada goose, which is, uh, you know, fascinating. The guy was a nut about him, but, uh, he came up in the late winter of 1962 and they ended up trapping these birds and he did, uh, you know, the weights on them, um, you know, all the measurements, wings, column size, head, skull, the whole nine yards. And he deemed that they they were true giant Canada geese. And, uh, you know, in his book, they said they weighed between like 14 and 16 pounds. Wow. Uh, wow those are big Just geese. monsters. And you see some of these uh, pictures of them, you know, 
and you start looking at them the size of uh, what you would classify as a larger goose. And these things were just, you know, there's some monsters, you know, some, some true giants. And so the rediscovery happened there, uh, happened right, right in town here, 1962. And they, they, that flock was very protected. They put in a refuge around Rochester. Um, they they started rearing a bunch of them here where they kept them a little bit in captivity for breeding and stuff. And then in the late 60s, uh, early 70s, they started a transplant system where they started transplanting some birds uh, to various places around the country, you know, like Vermilion, South Dakota, and Kalamazoo, Michigan, Thief River Falls. They took some up to the Oak Hammock and, uh, you know, that set of geese is really what uh, spearheaded the the resident population that is that is across the uh, the upper Midwest right now. So yeah, it's the uh, I guess they call it the home of the giants. Uh, it's where they rediscovered them. There was a longstanding you know tradition of hunting here, and Silver Lake had the had the interlake population, which these birds were kind of classified as, as which is between Lake Manitoba and Lake uh, Winnipeg up there in the provenance of Manitoba, um, this was their wintering ground. You know, we would have on any given day, you know, 35 to 55,000 giants sitting on Silver Lake, and that's not even counting the river system that uh, flows through town or some of the quarries and stuff like that. So it's it's, it's a lot of history here with the big birds, uh, a lot of hunting history here. You know, the, the, the outfitters date back into the 70s. Um, so, yeah, it's a special place to uh, – to see him return every year. Yeah. Right on. Wow. And yeah, I've read that book by Harold Hansen, The Giant Canada Goose. Fascinating book. I highly yeah. recommend it for anybody who hasn't read it. Um, but what a what a great success story. And, um, you know, for, for anybody who's who's never seen uh, a giant Canada goose, they're really, really cool birds. And for the guys out, out here in the western states, you know, our our resident birds are not true giants. We have, you they're know, Moffats, right? James Moffat or something like uh, that. Yeah. They're the, the, the Moffatties or Moffat. I'm not sure. It depends on, I guess, who you, who you ask, sure. but, um, uh, as far as the pronunciation goes, but, but that's the, that's the subspecies. They're the second largest to the, to the, um, giants. They're not much smaller body size wise, but one of the things that's really unique about the giants is, they have such a huge head, you know, their, yeah. their, their heads are very large. Their necks are very long. Um, mm-hmm. their overall body length is very long and their Coleman, you know, their bill is just huge. And, yeah. um, and one of the things that seems to be pretty common on them, that's, this that's not common at all on, on our resident birds out in the Western States here is the, is the barcode they get you know on their sure. on their forehead and and i remember you remember when we did your decoys um way back when you had us <laughs> yeah. paint mm-hmm. some barcodes for Still you got on them. Those. Still use them. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah yeah well and all this yeah, time i thought th- i thought that they were literally barcodes like i thought i thought because like <laughs> wow we're making this product for scott and we have to put a yeah. barcode on him and such an obvious place like yeah. i really was against right. that but now Dave, I understand. Dave <laughs> ate a lot of lead paint chips when he was a kid. I think starting when he was in a crib. Was is that bad? No. Oh, okay. Okay. So I yeah. will say this. I will say this is that uh, you know back when he 
when Harold Hansen uh, rediscovered those birds and the sizes of them, and they had some recorded weights of, you know, the 15, 16 pound birds, is that, um, you know, how many true giants, true, true giants do we have left? And I'll, I'll tell you, I see, I see about, if I see two flocks of year of true giants, I get pretty excited. Um, I think over time, um, is that when people say, oh, 15 pounds, you know, a lot of the geese that we shoot in Rochester and have for years are, you know, between 10 and a half and 12 pounds. You know, that is, that is a, you know, you get up to a 12 pound goose, that's a big Canada goose. And, you know, I think over time, these birds have intermingled and I think they've kind of bred themselves a little bit smaller, you know, um, for instance, I remember I probably where what I would consider is a, a true giant Canada goose is they're very, very rare, very, very rare. And I think I probably only shot about true giant, probably three of them in my life. And two of them have been in Saskatchewan. They were probably 14 and a half, 15 pounds. They flew about. 10 yards off the ground maybe they couldn't honk it was more of a who wit who wit it who wit it and that's all they did and just for instance i'll tell you last year remember when uh i said it hit like negative 61 real field um about a day after that when it was still like negative 30 degrees out i was out at my parents which is about 10 miles west of rochester out in the middle of nowhere it's farm country it's 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 there's no lakes there's no you know everything's frozen over it's pretty desolate out there in the winter time right and i'm riding snowmobile just taking a little cruise and it's about 1 30 in the afternoon and i look ahead of me and there is about 14 or 15 canada geese flying about 20 yards up straight line and one way that I always eat, when, you know, when I see them is this, just this giant white butt from a long ways away. You can see it. And they're in a straight line. They don't fluctuate, and they're flying. And instantly I said, there's my first block of true giant Canada geese I've seen this year. And I followed them. Now, it's negative 25 degrees outside. We have snow up to your, you know, halfway up to your knee. Uh, there's nothing out there. These geese flew, and I followed them. They flew for about another half a mile, and all of a sudden they went down and landed in the middle of a section, which is, you know, cropland, 640 acres. And the only thing that is in the middle of that section is a creek that I used to trap mink on in high school. That's it. It's about a yard wide with some and that's where they spent the night. I went back out there the next day, walked out about, you know, a couple hundred yards out in that section, glanced down there with my binoculars, and there they were, those 14 or 15 of them, whatever there were, they were still sitting on that tiny little yard-width slough that had not frozen over out in the middle of nowhere. And that's that's those those birds were probably true, true giants, which I don't think – you know, in my opinion, we have a lot left, um, you know, anywhere. They're really weird, really rare to see. You know, I think there's, I think there's a different, 
you know, I don't want to say a subspecies. There's like a giant Canada goose that, you know, that's 11 and a half, 12 pounds. That's pretty prevalent in a lot of places. And then there is where I think Harold Hansen was, was the 15 pound behemoth that does not associate with anything, anyone, you know, it's just a weird, rare, rare, very, very secluded, uh, you know, true giant, almost like a subspecies of a, you know, a giant that is just, uh, they don't even honk. Hmm. They don't even honk. Hmm. You know, there was, I remember when I shot that one up in um, Saskatchewan is they, there was about, there was about 10 of them on this slew. And I don't know if it was a family group or not, but there was a 10 of them on this slew and they left. And I mean, they, we hunted around this area, which was up in Yorkton, Saskatchewan for, for, for several days. And it was around this same slew. There was a very small slew. Uh, there was no ducks on it, no nothing else. There was just these, these, these about 10 giant geese on it. And I would creep up on it, you know, when we were scouting at night or whatever. And it was just a, you know, if they did take off, it was just, I mean, there was no honking. There was, I mean, everything that you, you know, it was, it was like the quietest big river flute call you've ever heard in your life. And that was how excited they got. And, uh, I went in there after they had left that morning, we, we did a duck hunt in a field in there and I go, you know what, I'm going to go in there and try to get, try to give me a couple of these things. And I went in there, no decoys. I mean, it was a small flu. It might've been shoot might have been an acre big at the most covered in cattails and two of them came back first and those were the two i shot and i still have a picture of them just a gigantic barcode softball size head and yeah i think i mean yeah you're looking at 15 pounds i mean they were gigantic and every time i've ever seen what one of those flocks that i would say that's a true giant right there i don't think they've ever been more than 30 yards off the ground at max and they never move. They just fly in a straight line. So, you know, it, I could be just weirdly, you know, fast, you know, thinking up things, but uh, I think there is a, the Harold Hansen when he found those, you know, 12 is what he, what he found and he weighed of true giants. And those are the ones that he marked as the last, uh, you know, remaining wild ones. I think those 12 that he said were between 14 and 16 were actually, you know, that, 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 that stock, rare, that, that true, rare, yeah. Yes, yep. So, yeah, and, you know, there's been some years where I haven't seen a flock of them, and there's been some years where I might see one or two flocks of them, but that's it. You know, you'll never see, like, a hundred of them somewhere. You know, it's like a rare 12-pack here or a rare 12-pack, usually late, never early. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's so maybe a maybe a rare subspecies of the giant that's like the real behemoth you know uh-huh yes wow and what do you think that the other ones when you say um there's a lot of these 10 and a half to 12 pound giants mm-hmm. um and you figure that they're probably um crossbred giants with maybe another subspecies what do you think an mvps or 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 moffatis no, or no no I, th- I think there's a lot of you know i mean I think over time, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, naturally breeding themselves a little bit smaller, you know, that, that interior size. Cause right now we hunt a lot of geese and not just that. Are geese. Well, I'll say this in, in 2008, 
which is I think the year you came out here, Brad, and you took the photos that are in my shop right now, that was the last year that Silver Lake was open. And then they turned off the coal-burning power plant that was downtown. See, that would burn coal, discharge the water five degrees warmer, and it would keep the lake open. That's how Rochester got its name, because Silver Lake, because we had basically a bathtub, uh, 25-acre bathtub for the geese all winter long. Mm Mm-hmm. They turned that off in 2008, and which we would say the you know the giants the you know between 10 and 12 pounds. They came back in 2009 because you know that's where it historically started to go, and then every year they've drifted off, and we don't get as many of them uh, as we used to. We're hunting a, a seven to nine pound, which I guess you would classify as an interior goose now. Um, that 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 fly longer to feed that fly high that fly in bigger groups i mean the hunting style here in rochester has totally changed yeah totally changed uh uh it went from you know what field are they feeding out in the refuge and then we'll just get the next field right in that line that was all you had to do to now it you know these geese don't even feed in the refuge they want to fly 10 miles before they even sit down you know so it's a it's a totally different scenario now here in rochester but uh um those those i think just over the course of time they might have you know you know who knows what 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 harold has is you know deemed as a true giant versus an interior goose you know but i think uh you know for the for the principle of it all you know a 12 pound goose is, is a giant that is a big goose you know so um that's what we primarily had in the you know, the seventies, the eighties, the nineties, and up until 2008 was that 10 to 12 pound, uh, barcoded giant, you know? And then I think there's that rare breed. That's just a step up of that, uh, that don't associate with really anything. But, uh, um, I think, you know, I don't know if they were all that way or they just kind of bred into that, that 10, 11 pound stage or what, or if that's, that's what they were. But, uh, um, you know, I think over time, I don't. I don't think we're as shooting across the country. I don't think we're shooting as many big geese as we used to, by mm-hmm. any means. I think it's. I think it's a. I think it's a smaller, just a little slightly smaller race that has uh, that has developed. And I you know, if that's over time, uh, result of um, just who's won the race against uh, you know breeding success, survival success. Or if that's actually what has happened is they've actually, uh, you know, bred themselves a little bit smaller uh, or not. So I'm not sure, but it just doesn't seem like there's as many, you know, true big geese as, as, as there used to be. You know, that, there's a lot of thoughts that go through my mind when you say that. Like, you know, like if you take like Pacific salmon, for example, like their overall size is just getting smaller over time just because of the habitat and available food and all that stuff. Sure, but it doesn't sure. necessarily change the the species or subspecies. But like with white-cheeked geese, um, you got to remember that, you know, over over time, um, time is what de- time and generations is what developed the subspecies in, into subspecies. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, controversy as to what, is a subspecies and what is just an isolated breeding group. But a giant Canada goose is a subspecies, you know, and that's pretty well accepted and stuff. And so, but, but what's, what's sad and scary is if, um, if there is some intermingling 
um, like with interior Canada geese, it doesn't take very many generations to just totally dilute that. So these subspecies have been separating themselves for maybe millions of years. And then right. in a short time, it can be diluted. And we've, we've run into that too with our, with our, our dusky Canada goose. Um, mm-hmm. The, you know, biologists came up with the great idea of, uh, you know, clipping the wings on some to, to keep them as a, a resident population to supplement the, the migrating population. And that was a disaster because they started interbreeding with our resident Canada goose, which is a Western Canada goose, the Moffaty. And so, you know, making a, making a, a, a hybrid doesn't really help a true subspecies, you know? And so you just kind of wonder like with the giants, like what happened? Um, and you know, whose fault was it or was it nobody's fault? You know, <laughs> you know, yeah. And if you start, you know, that's a great example. If you look at, you know, there's documents, uh, that, that giant can of the goose was in the Rochester Hills and, uh, spring fed river systems back in the mid 1800s, you oh, know? Wow. So, so now you start taking it before that because all of this developed way before that time. And you look at the upper Midwest and where these geese came from. Uh, you know, the inner lake population uh, up above St. Andrew's Bog, which is now the Okamic Marsh. And you look at Minnesota back then is that this was a very, very, uh, you know, I'm talking maybe back even into the, the 16, 1700s or whatever you want, how far you want to go back. Um, it's cold. And it's it's survival of of the fittest, you know, uh, and and I think over time is that the the the, the species, uh, the subspecies, whatever you want to call it, the Canada goose, the one that made it through those generations was the biggest, hardiest bird, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the bird that could survive the winter, the bird that could eat, you know, cockaburl plants instead of corn, you know, and stuff like that. Um, he made it through and that's what was primarily in this area in the 1800s, early 1900s, whatever it may be. Well then, you know, obviously farming started way before that, you know, the draining of the wetlands, the increase of, of agricultural crops, you know, is, is, is unprecedented, you know, it's, it's crazy. So now, you know, that subspecies that was very, uh, you know, isolated, very, you know, they just take a hit, you know, it's not the environment that they, they survived in it's, it's an environment that that a different goose thrives in a goose that is uh you know loves to be in the city a goose that loves to be around a ton of other geese a goose that loves to just eat everything in agricultural fields you know and that that just happens to be an interior sized goose you know and maybe maybe it's over time is that uh you know that obviously the habitat has changed for these geese over the last 300 years you know so um you know, maybe it's just the evolution of what man's doing is that they're, they're, they're determining what, you know, I don't know if you want to get that, you know, in-depth look at it or not, but I'm sure that has something to do with it. You know, it has something to do with, uh, with every animal out there is, uh, is, uh, you know, development of not only city, but, uh, obviously agricultural lands from the wetlands they were in, uh, you know, it's just, you know, it's, 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 it's what species thrives in that. And I think, uh, you know, the true giants are very, very secluded, uh, very isolated, and uh, they don't like to be around cities, people, you know, anything like that. And uh, this probably isn't the environment that they thrive in like they did, you know, 150 years ago or whatever it was, you know. So it's, uh, 
yeah, it's changed, but maybe it's breeding, maybe it's a part of the environment. I'm not sure. Sure. Well, and a, yeah. a smaller goose is more agile, you know, and probably able to, to you know, fly further and quicker and all that stuff. It might be more suited for, you know, now the the, the farming era, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, maybe a larger yeah, larger goose, not as much. I don't know. Our Canada right. geese is right. fascinating. I mean, white cheek geese. You've got, you've got these <laughs> giant, giant Canada geese, right? And you're talking about. You're talking about flocks of 10, 15 birds, you know, right? Super reclusive yeah, six, birds. Six, 12, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep. and, and, you know, these things are getting up to like 15 pounds, say, and a true, true And they giants. don't want to be around anybody. Right, right, and they don't want and to be around And then you go all anybody. the way down the spectrum to the, the, to the two and a half pounder, oh, you two, know? Oh, two and a half yeah. pounder. Scott, come out here. These cacklers... We get them all the time down to a pound and a half. I mean, that's no. Do you really? Oh yeah, yeah. A pound and a half. Well, we a pound and a half would be a pretty normal size, immature, you know, young of the year female. Would be a pound and a half. So you're talking wow. about a bird that's literally one tenth the size of you know a a big giant and loves crowds. I mean, cacklers. It, you see them. <laughs> I've seen flocks of you know. 20, 30,000 cacklers before, sure, you know, sure, I mean, sure. So it's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating that, uh, you know, you have a species of a, of, of a bird that can not only, you know, change size all the way up and down the scale, change, you know, their characteristics, uh, you know, how they feed, how they act, where they live. You know, I mean, like a, like a white tail, you know, you'll have obviously different size bodies throughout the country, you know, north to south. But relatively speaking, you know, they're they're somewhat within the same realm. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, you know, pheasants aren't changing anywhere you go. But geez, yeah, geese, it, it, it's it's fascinating, and uh, it's uh, it's awesome that there is that much uh, diversity into uh, you know. What's a, what do they label as a species? Anything that can uh, reproduce themselves, right? Anything that can, uh, uh, I think that's the that's the biology term of a species. Anything that can reproduce and sustain themselves is, I think, being the species. And it's crazy that there's so many different subspecies of that. So it's, uh, yeah, it's awesome. It's great. Yeah. It's great. It's how we all make our livelihood, which uh, is awesome. Yeah, I've got to be thankful for be doing that. anything else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, spe- speaking of which, how's Molt Gear going? It's going great. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, uh, what are we in now? We are probably in our six, six and a half years of making calls, which I think in the grand scheme of things is a pretty newer call maker uh, to the game. So just like anything, just like uh, I'm sure you guys uh, uh, felt the – the pain of when you first came out with decoys is just that manufacturing process. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, when I started making calls, um, I never knew that uh, they could be out of black acrylic. I never knew that there was only one company in the U.S. that produces cast acrylic rod. And if they were out of black cast acrylic rod, everybody's out of it. Did not know that. Uh, machining times, uh, just turnaround time. You know, stuff like that is just the growing pains of figuring out the manufacturing uh, timeline and 
ebbs and flows of the year and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I'd, uh, you know, we struggled with that, you know, the first couple of years of just, just, uh, Oh, wait, you can't make, you know, the machine shop, you can't make 500 calls in a day. Oh, uh, you can't have them done tomorrow. You know, stuff like that. You know, things take time to, uh, uh, to process and, uh, to machine and stuff like that. And I'm sure you guys, you know, you know, through the decoy making process, you know, see the ebbs and flows of when, uh, uh, the times of the year when, uh, you know, people are just really one decoy, you know, closer to season through season and when you should be, you know, make an inventory stock if you can, you know, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's going great. Uh, you know, we started with the bad grammar DVD and CD back in, 2006 and eight respectively and then we moved into the goose societies uh the dvds and the duck society and then i guess the, the next uh process of the equation was goose calls and yeah they're going great it's uh it's uh i love what i get to do every day you know it's i i you know it has its ups and downs like any job but i think the down is you still love what you're doing you know you're not uh out there on a road working construction or uh uh, nothing against that, but I, I love making goose calls. So it's, uh, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know, <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's great. No, it's, it's, it's all going good. We're, we're, we're thankful for all the fan support out there and, uh, try to make the best product we can every day in each one we make. Yeah. Well, and it's nice dealing with, with your fellow hunters, isn't it? You know, having them as your customers. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, um, yeah, it is. It is. It's, uh, and you know, the relationships you make over time and people that say, oh man, I, you know, uh, when you came out with Bad Grammar, the CD 13 years ago, you know, I still listen to that in the truck and, and that's what it's cool. And that's what we kind of talked about a little bit earlier is that, uh, is that, uh, you know, everything that we've done here at Moldgear and how we started is to really give the, the, the hunter, the consumer, the customer, whatever you want, uh, is to give them the goose, give them the, give them the sounds that the goose makes, and then try to teach them how to make that sound on a goose call or when we're hunting, explain what we're doing. And our way is, you know, we're not saying it's the only way, the right way, nothing like that. If anything, we're just saying, hey, here's our idea. Here's what we do. You know, maybe it'll open your eyes. Maybe you can use something. Maybe you've tried that. It didn't work in your area. Whatever yeah. the case may be, but this is what tried. this is what works for us, and maybe it'll work. Yeah, for you. we've always tried to 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 have one. We've always tried to answer the why factor: is why are we doing that? Why do you do that? Why do you make that sound? Why do you hunt this way? Why you, you know? We try to always answer that with what we believe, but we've always tried to make products, whether it be you know, like when I made the the the, the bad grammar, the CD in two thousand and six. I had 30 hours of live recordings from geese. Right. And, and these, let me interrupt these, you real quick for anybody who's never heard the bad, the bad grammar CD. It's an, it's a phenomenal instructional short read CD. And, and I highly recommend it. It helped me a ton. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but back then, so I had 30 hours of live recordings of Canada geese. Now these recordings were not okay. There's a bunch of geese go press record and then let it film, let it record 
for 60 minutes nonstop. These were, these were like going out to sloughs, going out to fields, going out to, you know, wherever there was geese that I could get audio of. And when they started making noise or when I thought they would start making noise, I would hit record and you might get a 15 to 20 second sampling, you know? So it, it was very, very time consuming, but at the same time, I personally loved it because I was, I was, you know, I think honestly, right away, I was doing all these recordings just for me and my calling and my contest calling and stuff like that. And then it's like, wow, this is, this is really cool. Maybe I should put it on a CD, you know? And, but, but just that amount of time and stuff like that is that we've always, you know, we want to have the hunter have a better experience in the field. And that's what we try to base everything off of. That's why everything, all of our DVDs and stuff, yeah, they have some entertainment in it, but the majority of it is, is, is the instructional base of, uh, you know, just how we do things, why we do things and, and, and always, relate it back to what the goose is doing whether it's the sounds whether it's the way he sits in the field on high winds versus light winds whether it's you know after a rain they love soybeans whatever the case may be is that the goose is always answering all the questions you know and that's what Mm -hmm. it's always been for us so yeah yeah. right on so long story short yeah it's going good we're we're very happy awesome awesome and this is, you said, six years now of doing calls. That is correct. Yep. Yep. Wow. So, yeah, it's, uh, um, yeah, 2012 was kind of that sampling year, whatever. And then, uh, yeah, you know, I think we got four different goose calls now, uh, you know, duck calls, stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's why you guys see it. You know, you guys make decoys and you're trying to make, you know, the best decoy over and over again out of the, you know, that same mold and stuff like that. So it's, you know, it's like, you know, the same, I don't want to say the same thing every day. You know, it's like how many white EX3 X series do we have to make today? It's like, Oh, okay. 40, you got to make, you know, but you're still trying to make each one better. And uh, maybe, you know, over time you learn little tuning things. So if if you're always trying to do it better, uh, you know, I don't think it'll ever stall out. And uh, just, love going to work every day and making goose calls you know since i was 10 years old and heard those first ones fly over my head uh that that pretty much changed everything for me you know that's that's what i wanted to do and even even playing baseball i blow my goose call you know stuff like that and uh uh the minor leagues i'm talking about it uh i would just think about goose hunting and uh it's been great so nothing i would rather do can you give us a a, a little rundown of of, of the products that you make and anything new that's, that's coming out and all that kind of stuff? Well, you know, it, it, yeah, we make, we make the, the instructional CDs, we make the DVDs, uh, we make goose calls, um, we make duck calls. We have a new goose call out to the triumph. Um, you know, I won't hash over the products. I just, uh, if you asked, I will say that I think we put a lot of time into our products. Not that other people don't, but I know how goose calls are made uh, in general, and I know how ours are made. Uh, we go through a hand polishing system. Every one of our acrylic calls is polished by hand on a buffing wheel. Uh, mm-hmm. We do that so it doesn't change the molecular structure of the acrylic. Uh, we think it keeps a tone. You know, that's us, personal ear. Uh, we engrave right here in-house. We hand paint all our calls by hand. We clean them off by hand, and uh, every single goose call that 
uh, goes out the door here at Mopir is tuned by me. So we uh, we want to keep that quality high. We want to keep uh, the best product uh, for you. Uh, and uh, nobody's going to get a goose call that that didn't you know get our best. You know our our personal you know, best and tuning and, 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 and the touch and we examine, you know, and stuff like that. So we put a lot of care into our product. We love our product. We think it's good. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we hope the consumer does too, but we put a, put a lot of effort into it and, uh, you know, that's the way it'll always be. So you, uh, it's kind of interesting to hear you talking about the, the struggles of, of sourcing materials because you, you do have a really good reputation for, um, for delivering. And so, but, but, you know, we, we run into that same situation. I, I'd like to think that we have a good reputation on delivering, but we don't have as good of a reputation for delivering as you do, but we, we've, we've no, struggled. No, no, that. no. I, I deal with my struggles too, you know, and, and, and here's the thing. I, I don't want to stop you there, but, but I think one thing that we run into as people that really, really love the craft of making something, you know, and, and, and you guys and in the decoys that you make and the time you put into them and the paint. And I mean, you're, you're doing art, you know, this is art, you know, it's, it really is. And you're making something that's durable to, enough to hunt with, but is good enough to, to sit on a mantle, you know, and that is, that is a weird, you know, rare combination to be able to create something like that and with our goose calls you know the polishing and the painting and the in the the whole nine yards is is that you know we're 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 up against uh a bad deal here you know we're up against the amazon uh world where you know uh you order a pair of socks and you have it like at your door in eight hours you know that's the (laughs) world that we live in is that we're creating art that's good enough to hunt with and good enough to try to sit on a mantle. And everybody and wants it yesterday. De- yeah, everybody wants it yesterday, and we're trying to deliver. But one thing that, that customers have to understand is is that we're not just, like, not working and not delivering stuff. It's We're trying to create the best one, each one we send out. And, damn it, that takes time sometimes, you know. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's one thing that we don't sacrifice is that, you know, is it, if it takes you a couple extra days, if it takes you a week, it's just because we're trying to do our best at creating something that we have so much pride in making, I think. And it's, it's not just a piece of polycarb that's wall molded in China. It's not a piece of, you know, just whatever that has no engraving on it. You know, it's, it, it, uh, you know, it's, it's sh- bottom line is shit we do takes time. You know, it's, there's no other way around it, you know, and, uh, and, uh, it always will. If you want something that, that, that decoy that looks that nice that you can, you can use in the field or put in your house, it's, it's, it just takes time. Takes a lot of, it takes a lot of handwork, takes a lot, takes some manpower and, uh, that's just the way it is, but right. unfortunately, we're up against the clock. And we're human. We we make side. mistakes and mistakes. Absolutely. Mistakes. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? Cause delays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well I don't, but. Well, not you, yeah. and yeah. not me. Yeah. The beauty is, is like it, in in this world of of getting those socks in eight hours, you know, you don't mind <laughs> if your socks are made quickly and delivered quickly, and and in a giant warehouse and stuff. But there's there's certain things that you want where you you really don't want them made quickly, and it's like goose calls, 
and decoys right. and stuff. And, and it's, it's, we're kind of lucky in that if you put more time into a goose call and, you know, polish the acrylic by hand, it sounds better. And we're kind of lucky in that if you take more time in doing a, you know, a sculpture of a Canada goose or whatever, if you put more time into it, it works better. And so I'm glad it's not, the, not the other way around, but there's so many people that, that do appreciate that and are willing to wait. Yeah. And then those are the coolest people, the easiest to deal with too, you know? Absolutely. They, uh, yeah. And we're lucky that there's still, uh, you know, enough of them out there where we get to do what we do every day, you know? And, uh, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's great. It's great. It's, 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 it's the one, it's when the eight pair, $8 pair of socks from China comes over and tries to buy something, you know, the high end for the first time. That's when they have their experience with, uh, you know, the, yeah, the, yeah. maybe the quote unquote poor customer service, you know? So it's, uh, uh, you, you, you know, you deal with your lumps and I've certainly had my fair share of them over the years and you just try to do the best you can. You know, you want you want that experience of buying, you know, the hundred and fifty, sixty, seventy dollar goose call to be great, uh, you know, smooth and you know, just sometimes it's not. You know, sometimes uh you know, a lot of hunters are uh you know, uh I don't want to call them procrastinators, but there's certainly times of year where volumes of sales are higher in our industry, you know, and uh the last time I checked, you know, waterfall season has been in the fall forever you know since they uh you know <laughs> passed the migratory bird tree act of what, 1918 or whatever you know hunting season has been in the fall and you know if it's three days before hunting season uh you know and, and, and you buy a call and you need it two days before hunting season you know, but sometimes that might not happen. You know, you just got to kind of plan it out a little bit yeah. and uh, just know that we're doing the best we can because hunting season comes at the at the same time every year, and I think it will continue for the foreseeable future. So just just know that uh, you know when you're getting something of uh, I guess what we might deem as high quality that it, it could take a little bit of time to get there. Yeah, and don't don't be shocked when hunting season occurs in the fall. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that is a shock that is still a shock for uh mm. you know for some people but yeah uh, right and don't uh, be you know, don't great. be shocked when early september goose season starts on september 1st again yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna make a bold prediction right here the three of us right that, that that's right. gonna happen in 2024 yes so. yep it probably is so <laughs> i you know i mean everybody's a lot of people are busy these days and I think a lot of people are doing the best they can, but, uh, you know, we like the ones who, uh, who order goose decoys in like May and then yeah, they're really super upset that, that they're not ready right away. And it's like, well, what, <laughs> what are you going to do with them? <laughs> sure. Sure. You know, in, in our case, uh, that's one thing in our case, that's, uh, uh, you know, we love that customer because we know that he's got a jump start on it and he wants to practice his calling. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's and that's what we always say is that, that that off season, you know, really try to hone in those calling skills, try to work on them as much as we can. So, you know, it's it's kind of crazy is that yeah, we do have a waterfall season, but uh like I say, every day is kind of the the same out in the shop. You know, people people are uh, we're blessed that people order goose calls all year round and uh 
when the when the direct sale volume isn't as high, we're building them for you know to get ready to ship to stores on June 1st and July 1st, so they have them in time for their waterfall season and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, it's it's really a year-round deal of uh, of making a goose call, which is great. Yep, yep, definitely. Have you guys uh, thinking about doing branching out into into the turkey call market? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> absolutely not. Okay. Uh, I am. Uh, I absolutely love turkey hunting. Uh, I really do, and I think it's more, you know, waterfall hunting uh, that love that the most probably. But it is. It is. It is uh, a little more of a social event. You know, you're 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 goose hunting. You're 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 duck hunting with a group of guys. You yeah, know, and for there's, sure. There's there, there's a lot of uh, communication that's going on with scouting and before the hunt and the plan and, you know, stuff like that. So it's a little bit more of a social, uh, uh, adventure than, than turkey hunting. Um, turkey hunting is a little more, you know, solitude's a little more quiet. And that time of year after just the, 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 the intense summer of building calls and then throughout the fall of, building calls and hunting and traveling and then, you know, Christmas orders and stuff like that. And, and, and then, you know, a lot of waterfall season. So, I mean, geez, I think you can shoot Canada geese in what is it, New York until like middle of March or something like that. So, you know, those calls sales really stay strong until, you know, the middle of March. And then of course we're, you know, the, the, the direct to consumer uh, aspect slows down and we're just making calls to deliver, to store starting in June. So that, that time period of, you know, the end of March, April, May is it's not quiet. We still do, you know, a lot of work, but it's, it's just a time to maybe decompress is maybe the right word and just get out in the woods and uh, just soak it all in. And the last thing I would want to do during that time of year is add stress, bog myself <laughs> down with, you know, a, a, a seven dollar diaphragm call you know so it's 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 not uh and you know i am uh i am not a you know a grand national turkey calling champion you know minnesota is not you know long tradition of uh turkey hunting by any means compared to like alabama mississippi georgia so you know you get in that market and we're here from minnesota and it's like does anybody really want a diaphragm made by a guy whose turkey season is five days long, <laughs> seven different seasons in Minnesota. You know what I mean? It's kind of, you know, so it's, but, you know, back to it, no, I would never want to, uh, uh, you know, the stress of delivering uh, turkey calls during turkey season. It's just, I love that time of year and I love to get out in the woods and, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just decompress. So, yeah, no, no turkey plans uh, forever. So, okay, well, yeah, we're good with that because I like the idea of you not, you know, um, stringing yourself out too too much, and and that way you're able to, you know, put a lot of focus in in building and tuning uh, waterfowl calls. So that's good. Yeah, yeah, and that's another good point, Dave. Is that really we don't really have the time, you know? I mean, it's it's uh, you know we're building a lot of calls in the spring to eventually ship out in the summer and the fall, and uh, yeah, the. the time constraints would be would be a would be another one so yeah nope nope not at all so um you got any you got any big plans for 
any trips you're going to be taking this fall? You know, the to tell you the truth, the last thing we do is plan. Um, and the reason for that is, is we don't want to pigeonhole ourselves into, I don't want to call it wasting time by going on a hunting trip. Cause anytime you go on a hunting trip, it's great, but we love to go on hunting trips. And thankfully we have the, 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 the availability to go at an instant, you know, and mm-hmm. that's when we go, we go when it's right. And, um, so the plan is, is to go when it's right, when that's going to be not sure, but generally speaking, we, we visit Manitoba. Um, I love going up to Manitoba, the Okanagan Marsh, the East Meadows. That's kind of where the interlock inner lake population came to Rochester. Uh, I think it's a very awesome area for, for big Canada goose hunting. Uh, and so we, we visit there each fall and then, uh, our, you know, my favorite place to hunt is, is, is around home. Um, I think that can be said for a lot of people, you know, it's where you got all the, the memories and the history and the good days and the long days and the bad days. So I spend a lot of time hunting around home, um, in, you know, end of October, early November through, you know, Christmas. And then once January comes, um, if it's right, we'll, uh, we'll go to, uh, Nebraska is a phenomenal goose hunting state. Um, love Nebraska, love Kansas. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll take some trips after that. But, uh, the plan is, is I don't know where it's going to be. Um, but it's going to be probably wherever the wind blows those geese and, uh, whenever that weather is right. So that's, that's kind of how we plan out our, our falls anyways. So, yeah. Right on. Yes. Excellent. How about, how about you guys? Oh, Oh, us? Oh, we don't want to talk about us. I feel like I'm out of wind here. I'm out of breath. What are you guys working on? What are you doing? I was just going to hit you up next on on what kind of fishing you do or what your other hobbies are. Have you tell us about your baseball career, but would you be willing to do that? And then we'll, then we'll. Yeah. uh... You know, other hobbies, uh, um, I love turkey hunting and me and my brother-in-law, which I knew my brother-in-law, Nathan, way before I knew my wife with me. Uh, and then I found out, you know, he had a sister about five years after knowing him. So, uh, <laughs> me and my brother-in-law have been hunting, turkey hunting, uh, together for close to, you know, it's getting to be about almost 20 spring times now. And so we, we try to meet up. He comes up to Minnesota. Uh, we go to Wisconsin, we go to Missouri, you know, he lives in Kansas, go there. So, you know, that's kind of my springtime. I don't do a lot of fishing, which I know we're in the state of, you know, 10,000 lakes, but you know, our County doesn't have a lake, which is weird, you know, uh, (laughs) so, you know, the only fishing trip that I take every year is me and my dad go up to devil's Lake, North Dakota and tip up fish, which is ice fishing, uh, with tip ups for, uh, Northerns. Nice. in uh the winter and he's in he's an old farmer i grew up on a dairy farm and he just loves his northern fishing and we just go up there not a care in the world and just pull northerns through the ice all day uh it's phenomenal northern fishing up there so that's my one fishing trip of the year um i play a little golf um i got a, i got a four-year-old uh, at home. So he consumes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, my baseball career, um, I was drafted out of high school by the Cleveland Indians. 
Um, and I signed with them and went and played with them for four and a half years. And you'll ask, well, why didn't you keep going? Um, well, the simple answer was I wasn't as good as the other guys. <laughs> I mean, I'll just be honest. Those guys were good. You know, when you start getting up the levels, uh, these guys are just so consistent. Uh, Major League Baseball players are just crazy consistent how they can show up day in and day out for a 162-day season in the heat against 90-mile-an-hour pitching and hit, you know, 300-plus a year. It's, it's just crazy and uh so i got out of that in about 2005 and i was like well you know what do i do now and i came back home uh bought a house here in rochester um worked for a fertilizing company we did commercial fertilizing and kind of started the molt gear kind of at the same time and worked both until 2011 when i kind of went full-time with molt gear and then started developing the call so that's kind of my rundown of uh of me, I guess. And then so, grow, growing yeah. up, um, you guys, you guys owned a, a small dairy and did you have like Holsteins and was it, was it a small yeah, dairy? Or we big? had Holsteins. We, uh, um, you know, farming has changed. Wow. Has farming changed? Uh, it's just crazy to see, you know, I think what was it in the 1920s, 85% of the workforce was something involved in farming. And now today it's down to like 3.1%. So it, it's crazy how farming has changed. It's became a monster business. You know, it's big business now. But uh, my grandpa, he started our uh, dairy farm. He built the barn and bought the land back in the early mid-40s. And uh, that's the farm that my parents still live on. So, yeah, I grew up on a dairy farm. We milked 46 Holsteins, uh, and we ran about... 500 acres of land um and that was my upbringing it was right there in manorville which had a small population of geese uh september 1st of that 70 and then throughout the migration it would climb up to maybe 3,000. um but it was a good real good learning experience of how to manage the resource uh the education on a small flock like that and of course i would come into rochester and hunt as well when i started guiding at an early age but uh yeah grew up on a dairy farm and uh um, you know, just like many dairy farms in the late nineties, uh, after I graduated, my, uh, 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 grandpa sold my dad and my grandpa sold, uh, the cows and all the equipment. They, my dad still has the, the land out there, but, uh, um, yeah, now, now farming is crazy, man. If you're not running, you know, 2,500, 3,000, 4,000 acres, it's, uh, you know, you're not a, you're not a farmer anymore, you know? So it's, uh, it's definitely changed and that's it's also changed the aspect of hunting too you know i mean it's uh it's it, it i think one reason why you see these social media posts of a group of hunters with just 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 a ton of guys you know i mean uh there there could be a hunt with 9 10 11 12 13 14 guys on it and uh you know a lot of people kind of some people kind of cringe at that uh you know like ooh how would you how could you hunt with that many guys but the, the 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 true story of it is is that because you know some of these geese were using a field that only one guy can really get on that land you know it's mm-hmm. it's these farmers have such big farms now it's either you're in or you're out and if you're out you might not have anything to hunt for a long time unless you know the person that 
can get you into that field. And when he does, it brings a whole bunch of guys in the, you know, it All brings right. two groups, three groups of hunters together um, to mass in decoys. And, you know, that's, 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 it's, it's kind of a result, a little bit of farming of why I think you see a, see a lot of people hunting together, which necessarily isn't a bad thing by any means. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, definitely changed, but, um, yeah, I grew up on a dairy farm and it was, uh, it was a lot of hard work, but it was great. I, I would never, never change that. That was, that was an awesome experience. And, uh, man, guys in the sixties and seventies and eighties on dairy farms, man, did they work hard? Holy crap. Yeah. You know, especially, especially milk and cows. Cause the last time I checked, uh, you know, you just can't leave the cows for the weekend and come back. So, yeah. Like, no. tw- like in the middle of the night, a lot of times the schedules are milking in the middle of the night, you know? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. We milked at uh, five o'clock in the morning and four thirty in the afternoon every day. Oh, that's so, not too bad, but yeah. And then yeah, now they're you know milking twenty four hours a day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they milk them three times a day, and it's crazy, Jeez. crazy, crazy business. Huh. Man. But how about you guys? What are you guys working on? Well, Dave, what are we working on? Well, I don't work. Tell much. me a sleeper shell. <laughs> oh, a sleeper shell. Oh well, we are we're open. Wonderful. We're open to ideas. <clears throat> I'm ready to start a project. You got any ideas? Is that the is that what you would want me to do? One hundred percent. Yeah, that, that's the most important sleeper of all the things. And I know that I know that you guys have a sleeper shell now. Uh, and when I when I say sleeper shell, I mean a, a, a sleeper shell that does not have an underside. So stackable so sleeper shell. A real a real shell. A real shell, yeah. I think, I think, uh, you know, a lot of goose hunting is really moving that way. You know, these geese just, you know, they do not migrate like they used to. Uh, they wait and they hold on and they hold out for those seasons to go out. So all the pressure of the hunting goes out, and you know they're free, so to speak. You know, because hunting season's over. Uh, but a lot of these birds are just really tough they're really hanging up uh in late season hunting and cold extreme conditions are is it's really getting popular and uh i've noticed it up here is that uh, a sleeper shell is a hot item right now especially if you can stack one like 24 30 decoys high it's uh it's very popular that's mm. my opinion anyways okay well yes. for us yep. to do that <clears throat> i mean there's um I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm seriously, I'm listening carefully and I'm, I'm, I'm taking this really seriously. So, um, so for us to do that, the way that we currently make decoys, we, we would probably have a hard time because of the, we have a slight inconsistency on wall thickness when we wrote a mold. Um, I was thinking, well, maybe we could, maybe we could make, uh, like, you know, cast it as a single piece. That's two decoys, like, you know, belly to belly Oh, sure. and then yep. cut it cut it but i think i think that we would have trouble with the weight of the of the product and also um the inconsistent wall thickness could could prevent it from from stacking really well but what would you think if we were to have that uh blow molded or or vacuum formed or something like that which means we'd have to outsource the production but we would we would oversee the whole the whole thing to make sure that it was high quality Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, and I know your guys is, uh, you know, 
your guys's artistry. You know, I have no doubts that it would be a the best looking sleeper shell on the market and function the best. And you know, these sleeper shells, uh, uh, one people are hunting as I said, I think later into the year, late seasons are becoming more and more popular uh, just because those geese are holding around longer. Uh, refusing to migrate more. And so you have these a lot more later hunts where the sleeper shell, and not saying you can't use them, you know, early season as mixing in on, you know, sandbars and stuff like that. But uh, um, it's it's just a great way for a hunter to, A, look real, which is a key component of, of, of waterfall hunting is, is realism, but two, also to gain numbers in their spread. You know, it's, uh, it, it, it's obviously... Uh, not the cost of, you know, a dozen full bodies. It's at a, it's obviously probably at a lesser cost and they can, they can build those numbers up, which is, you know, one thing in goose hunting that's becoming a little bit more necessary as well is that, you know, you have to have a few more of them now these days to, uh, to make it, uh, you know, to set yourself apart. So I would be absolutely all for it. And the reason why is I have no, um, doubts about the quality of decoy that you guys would sign off on, whether it would be uh, outsourced or not. So I think it would be it would be awesome. And from your standpoint, uh, you know, from a carving standpoint, is you got to carve one. You got to make one. You know, it's not like you need you know seven different head positions and different body positions. You know, it's 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 one position. It's 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 one carving, I would think, or whatever, and uh, you know you can roll with it from there. So, hey, that gets my vote. But I am a late season big goose hunter that loves sleeper shells, so maybe I'm a little <laughs> biased. But I bet you there would be a lot of guys that would be raising hands with. Okay. And then one of the things that we'd have to give up, and this, this would really bother me, but I'd have to get over it, is for it to be stackable, the sides would have to come down um, perfectly straight. And so, In other words, it couldn't have any roll under of the body like a real goose does. Yes. Um, yeah. That, that would probably make that... it so I can't sleep at night, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> they ha- I will say this. I will say this. Do not make a sleeper shell that can't stack. Okay. You have to have them stack. You have okay. to have them stack. You have to. Otherwise, it's. Uh, I think it almost, almost, uh, uh, almost, you know, takes away from what people are looking for. You know, because it takes up less room. You it it, def- right it defeats up. the purpose. Like we have a yeah. we have a sleeper full body basically right now, which yeah. which which is designed great. how Dave mentioned. It's got the roll underneath the belly, so it's anatomically accurate to the. Yeah, very, you very. Have to, you know. Yes. Yep. Yep. Teeth. It is. Yeah. You would have to. You would have to sacrifice that small area around the bottom to make it a little flared, so it could it could stack. Yes. And and what uh, about how about the flocking on the head when you're stacking them? Do you think? Nope. That would wear just no, no flocking? flocking. No flocking. Okay. Nope. Nope. Huh. Okay. Nope. That's interesting. Nope. Nope. I think uh, I think when it comes to that position on a goose is one these people are they're, they're using big numbers. They're using big numbers of sleeper shells. You know, and, and and one thing if you if you've hunted over sleeper shells a lot, which uh, you know, one thing that uh, that we have amassed over time is a lot of sleeper shells 
is that it takes a lot of sleeper shells to really present the real look that you want to give those geese. You know, if you have, you know, just 12 sleeper shells that you're blending in with your spread, you're not really adding anything to it. You know, you, I mean, it, it takes some numbers. And I think when you start to get into that, that number uh, game of that, that, that position, I think it's, it's more of just that overall look of the spread versus that overall, uh, you know, flocking on the head. I don't think that goose is going to, you know, look in there and say, oh man, those ones that are sleeping, you know, they don't got flocked on the head. You know, I think it's more of the overall presentation and the look of it that sells it versus the, you know, the, the, the flocked head sure. in my opinion. So okay. no, I would not waste any time on flocking whatsoever. <laughs> Okay, Give well, that's great to know. Okay, mm-hmm. that's really mm-hmm. valuable. That help that helps and, a lot. And, 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 and I would say that the flocking, uh, I would say non-flocking, would keep the cost down some. You know, it's not going to yeah. make. Yep. I don't know if it makes an astronomical difference in the overall price or not. I'm not in the you know the decoy, uh, you know, making business, but uh, um, that's going to help the the selling point is is obviously the price, and that's what you know. Uh, is going to help sell them because people people are really really starting to add numbers of these things into their spread and a uh, little bit for it's you know people will get a couple dozen and be like oh this really you know doesn't give us the look the, you know, we can't cover this whole sandbar with sleeper shells which which we want to do you know so we need more of them and uh, you know uh, that's that's where it's going to a little bit and when you can get a when you can get a decoy spread with with a substantial number of sleeper shells a it looks different from what a lot of people have because not everybody has gotten sleeper shells yet you know you're kind of the i don't want to say oddball out but you're definitely setting yourself apart on the looks aspect of it and uh it it takes a it takes a good number of them to really to really sell that story to the goose that that this is what's going on so um no flocking whatsoever absolutely not that's not going to change anything as far as your success out in the field with sleeper shells, okay. absolutely not. Good to know. That's really helpful. All right, and that you know we can we can say Scott said no flocking. So exactly. <laughs> like if anybody if anybody comes bitching to us, it, oh man, you didn't flock your sleeper shells. We're like, hey, Scott trying and said no. so. It's the Scott trying no. signature series. So uh, here's his <laughs> yeah, number. Yeah, right. absolutely not. I think it's more of the overall look than it is versus the. The, the 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 detail of a of, and two the head on a on a sleeper shell yeah you get a little neck there but it's it's not like it's a century you know yeah, right there's not much the whole thing exposed, there's yeah. not much there it's not gonna make a difference whatsoever I'm a 100% convinced on that no possible way so it's uh straight painted give them to us okay all right well yeah. I I will announce here and now that I will do it. That's my next project. I'll get started right yes. away. Sweet. Yes. Sweet. Hey, make sure they can stack 24 to 30 high. Yeah. Oh, believe me. I'm. Otherwise, don't I'm, sign off on them. Okay. I'm listening to everything you're saying. I will absolutely yeah. do that. Yes. Yes. Because you're talking, I mean, we have about uh, 1,800 sleeper shells no problem wow so, so we we you know moving them 
getting that production in order, you can't put them out individually. You got to, I mean, we're carrying 24 to 30 on our shoulder, and that's how it rolls. So, yes, and I think that's where the game is uh, is moving to as far as the sleeper shell portion of selling the hunt to that geese, uh, to that to that to that flock mm-hmm. is uh is is you need numbers and uh you need to be able to get them out you know so absolutely okay i'm on and it. i would be in the market for a lot more awesome well of course you have to sell your first 1800 because they're not dsds no so. you don't i've never sold a decoy in my life i've got everything i've ever owned oh that's that's awesome i love that i wish i could say that about about <laughs> goose calls and stuff like that you know yeah, I, the first decoys I ever got were uh, who was it? Was it Jim Cripe made the Outlaw silhouette? Yep. yep. Still got the five dozen. I got the ones that some of them have like three geese pictured, so they there's like yep. three heads. You know, those ones I still got them. I still got all my original uh, uh, Bigfoots. I still yeah, I got everything, man. I just I just don't want to give away anything. So yeah, nope. You must have a really big barn. Well, we've got places to put them. We've got places to put them. Yes. Yep. Yep. It's a. Uh, it's. It's interesting. There's a lot of. Them. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that would be awesome if you guys did that. I think you would make a lot of goose hunters very, very happy because uh, the 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 sleeper shell market is starving for something that looks great and that stacks. Okay. Well, that yes. sounds like a challenge to me and I accept. All right. Oh you, man, just, I'm fired just, up. Just swallow, swallow the pride of that, that, that last bottom, you know, two, three inches there and just, just know that you're doing it for the good of hunters. I'm just going to tell myself that every, every hunter is going to take a heat gun to him and right. curl it back in <laughs> or on every hunt. On every hunt, no, exactly. They or they're just no, going to bury it in not. the snow. We'll yeah, just bury it in the no, snow. In the snow. Yeah, that'd be good. They will not do that. They will. They will. They will love that they can stack. Okay. All right. If it's you say so. It's as important as looks. It's as important as looks. Sure. Is that they can stack? Absolutely. Do you have? Uh, this is a question for uh, a hunter to to a decoy. Uh, manufacturer, do you guys get a lot of complaints if you don't have flocking? Yeah. So, so yeah, we haven't had a non-flock decoy in quite a long time. And, and um, the, the, the main reason why we flock them is to get the head black, you know, blacker than you can get with paint. Mm-hmm. We have some yep. people that ask about like, well, Hey, well, why, why aren't you flocking the tails or can you even, they wanted us to, you know, flock white on the flanks and stuff, which that, oh, that's not at all why we flock. Um, so there's no there's no purpose no reason for us doing that. What from my standpoint, like I really love the feather details in in the head of a Canada goose, and I I, I absolutely I, you know I love working on that, and I hate I hate that I you know work on that, and then we're just going to flock it. So and I the whole time I'm working on it, I'm telling myself <laughs> right. like ah oh, it doesn't really matter. Right. So so this would be this will be really fun to to try to you know, try to get those, those really cool feathers in there again and stuff like that. But, uh, but we haven't awesome. had, you know, we haven't had anyone complain about no, not no flocking. Cause we just haven't had a non flock decoy in so many years. Gotcha. You know? Gotcha. But, yep. but the yep. reason why I've been working on the flocking substitute isn't for geese. It's for, for a mallard drake. 
Oh, uh, sure. Sure. Because yep. that is something that's a crazy that crazy color and head to replicate, isn't it? Yeah, it is exactly, and um, so that's why I've been working on that. Eventually, you know, at some point we'll probably have a mallard, but it's going to take a long time to develop because sure. I really don't want to flock. I really don't want to flock the head of a mallard because of the durability. Yep. Yep. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. But paint, yep. paint alone won't cut it either. You know, so. That is a crazy thing that God created as the head of a mallard. Yeah. It uh, just turns colors. It's just the craziest trying to replicate that as, uh, you know, to the highest, you know, uh, it's, it's a wild one. It's a wild one. I, I picture, yeah. I picture God like making it saying like, let's see if we can just frustrate the hell out of decoy makers. <laughs> 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 I, I think he did a good job if that was his intention. Oh, yeah, I think yeah, he did a great job. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Yes, he did. Yeah. yeah. He's, it's not black, brown, and uh, you know, uh, you know, a little cream and white like a goose. You know, it's it's we're gonna give them the most craziest green, purple, just combination, Blue. and then we're layers of different colors. You know, it's 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 pretty. Yeah. They're awesome. Well, yeah, and it's going to completely awesome. change color when it's standing, when the feathers are standing up versus yep. when they're laying down, and yep. depending on yep. what angle the you know the sun hits it and the yeah. light. Yep. 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 Crazy. Well, well, hey, listen, Scott, it's been awesome having you uh, on the show today, um, but we are out of time. Okay. So um, we're going to wrap this thing up. Um, anything else, uh, we need to cover, get said before we, no, I just, I just, it's just, it was nice to catch up with you, Scott. And, and, uh, I, uh, I really appreciate all your, your insight and, and, um, and your good advice and everything like that. And, and we're, we're big fans of you and your company. And, uh, we just want you to keep up the good work. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, uh, the same goes back to you. It's, uh, it's, it's, the, the, the products that you guys create are just, it's unbelievable. There's not a lot of game-changing equipment in the industry that you can really see a, a hard-line difference in in stuff, and you guys definitely create one that, that you can. And uh, the guys that do have them, that do hunt over them, know what I'm talking about and uh, uh, appreciate it. And uh, you guys keep up the great work as well. And I will be uh, anxiously awaiting the arrival of the sleeper shell decoy that you guys will have out very, very soon. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I cannot thank you guys for having me on enough. And uh, from the Molt Gear fans to the the DSD fans, uh, everybody, have a safe and memorable waterfall season because, uh, you know, we're all getting older and we are going to have one more less next year than uh, we do right now. So get out there as much as you can, enjoy it and be safe. And uh, thanks for having me on guys and keep up the good work. Awesome. Take care, buddy. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. You bet. Uh, All right. We'll see you.